0: Hi, this is Ask Mom RN with your host, Tamara Walker. I'm a mom of two, a pediatric registered nurse, and your friend. I give practical advice to raise a healthier, safer, and happier family. Every parent seems to dread the moment and the talk when their kids start asking about sex. Now, a lot of parents think that the birds and the bees talk is a one-time thing. But the truth is, we need to be having ongoing conversations with our kids as they're growing up to teach them about their sexual health and well-being. But it's such an uncomfortable topic, and I know that I get that. I feel uncomfortable talking with my kids about sex and my kids are now grown. I have a 25-year-old and a 22-year-old. But I remember when they were younger and they first started asking questions and we first started having those conversations, it was not comfortable at all. And I remember how embarrassed my husband used to get when he would get questions from our kids and how we really struggled with how to find the right words to say and how much information to give and how much is too much and at what age should we be sharing certain information. And I'm sure that for most parents, they feel this way. If you are feeling uncomfortable and unsure about what to teach your kids at what age and how much information to share, you're not alone. Most of us parents, deal with that and it's probably one of the most uncomfortable aspects of parenting is having to address our child's sexual health and well-being and how to teach our kids about sex. So today we're going to be talking with Dr. Harry Fish who is a board-certified urologist and he's a professor of reproduction and he is going to be sharing some tips for us on how and when to talk with our kids and what type of information to share and how we can try to get over some of that embarrassment and uncomfortable um, feelings that we have when we're trying to talk with our kids about this topic. So I'd like to welcome Dr. Harry Fish to the show. Thank you for being with us today.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you. You know, talking about sex with your kids is very 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 difficult including for me
0: it is for so many parents so many parents struggle (laughs) with it because it's uncomfortable and they're not sure how much do i divulge what do i say what age is the right age to talk with them so i'm so glad we're going to be talking about this today but before we get into our topic i would like to know how did you get started as a urologist because most boys when they're growing up say, you know, I want to be a firefighter or a police officer or something like that. So what was the appeal to you to be a doctor and, and to specialize in urology?
1: Well, you know, being a doctor, you know, I I, I don't think I I could have done anything else to be honest with you. It's one of those, uh, I I think I was meant to be a doctor. I, you know, I, I, in school uh, nothing interested me more than uh, science and math and, um, you know, I, I thought being a, a surgeon was a cool thing. And uh, in high school, I um, volunteered at the local hospital, which is Downstate Medical Center, and worked in the surgery department. I said, holy cow, this is fantastic. You know, it was a tremendous door opening. So this is really incredible. So I became pre-med, a chemistry major in college, and, you know, went to the Mount Sinai School of Medicine, And I realized quickly uh, in medicine, uh, you know, I couldn't decide surgery, medicine. What what do I do? Pediatric. Mm -hmm. But I did like surgery and I did like medicine. And and urology had both, had everything. You operate on people, uh, you operate on children. I did pediatric urology, operate on women, on men. It was so varied and didn't limit me. And it turns out, while people think, well, they want to do different surgeries urology residency was the hardest one to get into because really? more more people uh yeah it's it, there's not a lot of spaces available and more people want to get in to urology than just about any other field i think the field that's harder to get into than urology is dermatology the wow. urology is number two yeah because it's a it's a tremendous field uh it's a positive field you get to You know, deal with so many different uh, aspects. I remember in medical school, I I worked. uh, I thought I was going to go into neurology. I spent time in the Lou Gehrig's disease clinic at Mount Sinai, and I said, "Oh my God, it was uh, that was such a difficult disease." Mm -hmm. And I said, "Well, you know, that's one spectrum. What's the other spectrum?" And the other spectrum is the, you know, fertility. uh, You know, helping uh, couples have children. It's about the most opposite thing for if that's the right English then Lou Gehrig's disease and I said wow that was really fun that was much it was interesting I'm not saying <laughs> treating Lou Gehrig's disease is a big deal but I chose to to work with uh, you know uh, the fertility aspect and uh, and that sort of a thing and uh, and do the surgery there. So that was very exciting. And um and so since I was doing fertility I was dealing with couples, uh, you know, for my whole career learning about the, you know the relationships, how they talk to each other and all the medical problems that occur to couples, uh, you know, as they, you know, they move on with age or whatever. And uh, you know I've written three books um and uh, a lot of them the impetus was the impetus for it was um because I I uh had hard time relating the data, relating information to my kids and to other people. So I thought the book was the best way. Let, let me let me explain what that means. <clears throat> my wife said to me, "You know, geez, you got to speak to our kids about sex education, and I am the expert in it." And I had a hard time. Mm. And I always said, "Look, I'm going to write two two out of the three books. Uh-huh. All of them related to sex education, but two of them were were really related specifically to sex education." And uh, my point in saying that is. Um, you, you know, when you tell parents to talk to their kids about sex education, how do you know that the parents know anything about sex education? Um, and, and that's real, the real issue. Uh, certainly in schools that when sex education is taught, it's extraordinarily basic. Well, here's how you wear a condom, here's how you prevent sexually transmitted infections, and be careful and just say no you know.
0: Yes, yeah, <laughs> there's uh, not a lot but, of information given no, beyond that.
1: No, and, and uh, you know, it's funny, I gave a lecture once to Cosmo magazine. Uh, it was a salon, they called it, so everybody was there, and I was shocked that they didn't know uh, a, a lot about sex education, and, and I, would, I would bet you that wow. most women do get their information from Cosmo and, and,
0: uh, a lot probably me, and, do. and books like that. Yeah, yes. and, and
1: so so the point is, where do you get information about sex education once you actually get started having sex, right so it 's not just about how to prevent pregnancy, how to prevent stds it's about you know what is what is how do you maintain a healthy sexual lifestyle and and you know <laughs> what happens once you actually start having sex and, well, and I love thing, that you so, said
0: that because there are so many different components to sexual well-being and sexual health, because it's not just a physical thing. There's the emotional aspect. There's the way that it affects your relationships. And, you know, there's a lot more that goes into it that we need to be sharing with our kids, that it's not just the physical act itself that we have to tell them about.
1: Well, that's exactly right. So my second book was called Size Matters. Which is a question and answer book and it is really sex education for adults that's what it is so if anybody if you want to talk to your kids about sex education size matters now that's a interesting title for a book it sounds a little salacious sounds salacious but it's really not size refers to the testicles because it turns out the larger the testicles the better the sperm quality so for fertility that's very important Uh, so that's where the name came and of course people love that title the next book was called The New Naked. The New Naked was uh, sex education to the next level. It, it included relationships and how to talk to each other, and you know what men need to do, how, how to listen. Mm-hmm. A lot of men don't listen, right? So, so I think that that's an incredible part about sex is the uh, emotional aspect of it, um, as and probably as as important as the physical part of it.
0: Very much so. And Harry, I love the fact that you admitted to us that talking with, about sex with your own children that it was uncomfortable for you you know I, p- as a, as a pediatric nurse you know when i had to talk with my kids about sex i i admit it, i am confess i was uncomfortable and it's not an easy conversation to have and actually it's not just one conversation we should you know be talking multiple times with our kids as they're growing up so let's yeah, get into it'd be some of that of
1: but it behooves you to really learn about sex education yes. on your own. Yes, educate you're a parent, yourself first. Right. <laughs> and it's so obvious. It's like, oh, talk to your kids about sex. Well, what the hell do you know about sex? I mean, you know, and, and it's it very likely that yeah, most people don't know very much about it. So as I said, like you said, educate first and then talk to your kids
0: about it. Yes, yeah, so there's a surprising number of people that – Don't know more than just the basic mechanics or just, you know, and even get confused about certain parts of the anatomy and not, you know, know what to call them. And that's one of the things that I wanted to ask you is, you know, a lot of parents make up these euphemisms for body parts and they, you know, they're not comfortable of saying vagina or penis or vulva or testes. And so they make up all these names for them, and I've heard some real doozies out there. (laughs) But the thing is, is when we're teaching our kids the names of their body parts, we really should be teaching them the appropriate, proper names and not these made-up names. Do you agree?
1: Well, if you're making up a name for your body part, don't talk about sex education, because then you're not uh, sophisticated enough to talk or not serious enough to talk about a serious problem. If you're making silly names, you're just not serious.
0: And I think, you know, it goes back to that embarrassment, that being uncomfortable, that when you're teaching your child, you know, when they're a baby and you're teaching them, you know, where's your nose, where's your mouth, where's your eyes, where's your ears? You know, it's fine and should be, you know, what they should be doing is also teaching them, you know, their genitalia and using the proper terminology instead of, oh, well, we're going to make up a name for this, because then that starts getting in a kid's mind of, well, this is shameful, or there's something wrong with this body part, because we can't talk about it, or, you know, and it can cause confusion, too, if they're having a problem, you know, if you have a kid that maybe has a bladder infection or something, and they're telling you, well, my bottom hurts, well, that's different than their urethra hurts, you know, or it hurts to pee, it can really lead to confusion for kids at times and well, so th-
1: well tr- trivializing those the names of body parts shows a lack of sophistication. Yes. So if you you know you're listening to this podcast, hey listen, uh you know get, get you got to get serious about uh serious problems, serious issues and making little stupid names is is uh, a and, and and I hate to I hate to make you feel bad and uh, calling it stupid names, but they are stupid and don't think otherwise. You have to be serious about it and name things the right way. So yes. imagine your, your your son or your daughter. You go goes to school and they and they may and then they talk about body parts in a silly fa- silly manner. <laughs> they're not going to be too happy about that. So it's right. almost like you're li- you're lying to your children, and you're lying to try to keep them. Uh, well, you're lying because of insecurity. However, once you lie to them about those words, um, they're not gonna they're not going to be learning much. That's their first exposure to. Sex education, and it's uh, and that's not the way to be.
0: Completely agree. We have to start teaching them the proper names, just along with all their other body parts. We don't that's- make up names for the elbow or the ears. You know, we we call them what they are. So, Harry, at what age should we start teaching our kids about their sexual health and about sex in general?
1: I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll tell you why. Now you're supposed to be
0: the expert here. <laughs> I,
1: I, well, I, I want everybody to feel comfortable because if the yes. expert doesn't know, yeah. how are you expected to know? But here's the things that you really, let me tell you why I don't know. Everybody matures at a different, le, a different rate, a different age. Yes,
0: me too. Uh,
1: you know, you could be precocious. You could, uh, the, the real answer is you, you, you have the information available to, and, uh, you know, talking to your children about sex education, well, as I said, uh, you might want to get a book or two that is uh, around the house mm-hmm. that uh, a child could actually start reading and not giggling about, you know, and uh, and once that child is, is has the uh, availability to read about sex education in a non-trivial manner, uh, then I have a feeling that once they could read, they could Uh, they should have the opportunity to have access to that. So um, as I said, before you start talking about, you know, look, when you go to a lecture in college or high school, right, you're supposed to prepare for that lecture. And a lot of people don't. They go to school, teach your lectures, and then they read about it afterwards. Yes. But in this particular situation, it's better to read about it beforehand and then discuss it. So if you want to discuss something with your child, have them read something first. Right? And if they I think can't that's read, great. And there
0: are a lot of great books available out there to help right. parents. So do you have any in mind that you recommend? Or, uh,
1: Well, you know, for the basic, basic stuff, uh, you know, there's a ton of books. and I don't have anything to recommend other than remember. The basic stuff is here's the anatomy. Here's how you prevent an STD. Here's how you prevent pregnancy. Correct? Yes. I mean, we, we learn. Now, just think about what I just said. We learn more about preventing pregnancy than initiating a pregnancy. And remember, I'm a fertility doctor, which is a Mm -hmm. shame because it's a shame that we're not teaching people how to have children. Because it, you know, how to prevent something is (laughs) uh, sends kind of the wrong message. It's important, yes, we understand, but it's only one side of the uh, sex education, uh, you know, in in a world. So, so the point is, yes, you teach initially. Here's how you get pregnant. Here's you avoid pregnancy. But as I said, once you're teaching them about sex education, just understand, you're teaching them because they're going to have sex. So you have to give it your sex education level two. Level one, as I just said, was contraception, basic anatomy. Number two is, okay, now you're having sex. What does it mean? How do you have pleasurable sex? How do you know uh, when to stop? How do you you live in a relationship? And that's where my two books, Size Matters and The New Naked, come in. So the parents have to read that. Now, if it's too much for uh, parents to to really have those books there, then good. Then write your own book.
0: You have the information.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, I don't don't, mean that facetiously. I mean, write your own book and then, okay, take notes and write it down. And your book could be five pages long. Take out the information that you think is important to talk to your children about.
0: Exactly. And I think, I love that you pointed out that we need to be talking about not just how to prevent pregnancy, but how to get pregnant when they're older and they're ready. And I think that, you know, so much of the time parents do just focus on all the negatives and trying to prevent pregnancy, trying to prevent STIs, and they don't focus enough on the whole picture. So I love that you pointed that out. And, and the fact that you said, you know, kids, you know, teenagers are going to have sex. And even if they don't, when they become adults, they are going to. And I think that that's a concept that's really hard for parents to think about because nobody wants to think about their child having sex um, when they're older. You know, especially if you have a young child, if you have a, you know, a toddler or preschooler, you don't want to be, you know, trying to picture that. And it's very uncomfortable. But when they get older, they are, they have to have this information and wouldn't it be better to come from the parents than
1: uh, unreliable sources? it's not necessarily, well, it has to be reliable sources. Um, But, but, you know, look, if you feel uncomfortable about it, I feel uncomfortable about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's extremely difficult. Write it down. Yes. That's what I did with my youngest child, my youngest son, wrote it down. I said, let's read this and then let's talk about it. You know so uh, so it's not like you know they're not looking you in the eye when you're saying the word penis you know um, th- th- you have to here's the anatomy yes. let's discuss it and and here's what happens and my kids have read my books and I'm telling you it's a very valuable le- lesson because where do you get the information and as I said before on how to have sex once you're having sex well if you get it from Cosmo I, I, I worry because <laughs> they are not the experts on this yes. and a lot of sexual dysfunction occurred in young, in young men, too, and young girls, right? So it's, it's, it's important to know the, the medical reasons uh, for, you know, uh, problems having sex or, or, you know, what, which is, again, a, a third level up from, from basic uh, use of condom. Mm-hmm. So there are so many factors. And a lot of times people watch, the, they watch TV and they see these, quote, unquote, sexual sexologists, therapists. Which I think is just awful. I mean, sometimes I watch it. I go, Oh my God, that's not why this couple's not having sex. And it's more than just you know, geez, communication, communication, communication. Wait a minute, you got three hundred pound man. You well, know, he's got diabetes, high blood pressure. Guess what? He's got a medical problem for not yes. being able to have sex. You could see communication is not his problem. You know, there are so many other factors. You know, today. A big problem that we didn't have before, I guess, well, we probably did have it before, but not to the extent that we have it now, is delayed ejaculation. I mean, couples have sex where the man can't ejaculate. And the reason is, and that's important if you're trying to have a child, just imagine trying to have a child, and yes. the man can't ejaculate. Or the, the man just can't ejaculate having, during sex, and, and, and the, the woman feels completely frustrated. It's her fault. I can't believe this. You know, because it's an important aspect. turns out pornography. Pornography has killed, uh, you know, sex lives of a lot of couples, and pornography leads to excessive self-stimulation, right, excessive masturbation. Mm -hmm. So there's something called idiosyncratic masturbation. But the point is, it's a common phenomenon that we didn't know about, but it's a physical and mental, uh, uh, it's really mostly physical uh, and mental to a lesser degree.
0: And unfortunately, porn is more available than ever before, and it's more of a problem than ever before.
1: So at least see a thing about the, the the medical science behind it, the physical aspect, and also pornography doesn 't teach people how to interact with each other right so you're watching a, it a, gives a, a very a porn, unrealistic view uh, that's correct that's exactly right you know so uh, we have a lot of a lot of uh, uh, challenges in our culture uh, uh, with sexuality uh that is more than just uh, sex education, but it starts with sex education at yes. an early age so that people don't get the wrong idea on what it's all about.
0: Well, and I just read that the average age for a child to encounter pornography is 10 years old. Wow. And at first when I read that, I thought, I, I said the same thing. I was like, wow, that was kind of shocking. But at the same time, when I really thought about it, you know, like I said, pornography is more pervasive in our society today than ever before because of the internet. It's more readily accessible and available. And so it you know, when I think about it, it really is surprising that it's not even, even younger age. Um, hopefully parents are really keeping an eye on what their children are doing online and watching, you know, the monitoring <laughs> the websites they're allowed right. to go. But, you know, it, sex is so pervasive in our society and children are growing up with this skewed idea from pornography, especially teenagers who view pornography. And then they think that that's how sex is supposed to be.
1: Oh, absolutely. Just so you know, uh, you know, sex is a, a critical part uh, of, uh, of life, right? We're here on this, wor- on this earth, if you will, right, to procreate, to multiply. Mm-hmm. That, listen, you, you, we're not talking religion here. We're just, I'm just telling you, for the species to continue, I'm talking in a medical, biological, well, you have to procreate. You have to have sex. <laughs> That's why we're here. And a lot of things revolve around our ability to have children. So that is the most important aspect of life. Period. And if we don't know anything about it, or if we we, we hide in shame, or if we, we have misconceived notions, well you're in trouble. You better wake yes. up. Get those books, talk to your kids, learn it yourself first. Learn it yourself by and not by reading Cosmo, by look, start with my books if you want to get other books, but 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 by reputable sources.
0: So moms, make sure that you are educating yourself first. Like Dr. Harry said, you need to be knowledgeable and know what you're talking about, and get, you know try to get past some of that being uncomfortable and being embarrassed so that you can share the appropriate information with your children. So That's Harry, exactly right. you know, we talked about kids being exposed to pornography. Um, Teenagers also, do you think that, you know, the the teen pregnancy rate has been dropping, but do you think that the amount of teenagers who are having sex is increasing or decreasing? What do you, you know, what do we well, need to uh, be
1: uh, concerned me. about? Well, I can tell you that uh, kids are having sex as often as they can. Now, the fact that teen pregnancy rates are down, you know, a lot of uh, politicians are saying, well, we just, we have the just say no policy, guaranteed, that ain't working. Mm-hmm. The reason it worries me is it could be that sperm counts are declining in young men. And and we know a lot of this is because uh, of obesity, sperm counts decline when you're overweight, and uh, the use of steroids, testosterone-related products, mm-hmm. decrease sperm counts. Also, sexually transmitted infections adversely affect pregnancy rates. And here's the key. Sexually transmitted diseases are at epidemic levels. Epidemic levels. And uh, 50, uh, half of all STDs occur in, uh, in uh, uh, men and women under the age of 24. Wow. So now when I use the word epidemic, I'm not trying to scare you. That's the Centers for Disease Control, the CDC day, uh, words that they use, epidemic, yes. chlamydia. On the rise, all of these things are on the rise. HPV is on the rise. Now I'm going to ask you something. So, so it's not because they're not having sex. I'm worried that their ability to have sex, uh, to to conceive, is is being damaged. For example, if you have chlamydia, gonorrhea, which both are on the rise, you're going to get pelvic inflammatory disease. Your yes. ovarian you're going to be sterile. And so it's a huge problem. Uh, So I think we're causing ourselves to be more infertile, not that we're having less sex. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you a question. How does a woman prevent a, a sexually transmitted disease when they're having sex?
0: Well, their partner should be using a condom and they should insist upon that.
1: Oh, so th- and I'm I'm I'm, I'm going to play a little bit. So don't feel bad, okay? So women are in control, and the only way a woman can prevent an STD is by telling the man to wear a condom.
0: Well, it's not the only way. I think that you should, before even having sex with someone, you should know their sexual history. You should have a conversation about you know, and okay. be uh, tested. But for
1: you- for you to protect yourself, but the only way to prevent an STD is by using a condom. That's the only way. Now, we have many ways to prevent pregnancies, you know, the pill, yes. IUD, whatever you will. But the only way for a woman to protect herself from an STD is by telling the man to protect them. My point of saying this is you really don't have a way to protect yourself. Well, the reason I'm saying this is there's something called the female condom that was just uh, uh, introduced as a prescription device. Uh, in the United States as a prescription device. Now, why is that important? turns out that men don't like to wear condoms. Surprise, no, surprise. <laughs> right, three, Right. According to the CDC, three out of four men do not wear condoms. So women, you have to protect yourself, and you cannot rely on men to wear a condom. You can't. So that's why we're trying to tell women about the female condom. Protect yourself. There's an epidemic going on. Zika is in the, in the semen for six months. Or If you're in an area where men can be exposed to Zika, or you can be exposed to Zika, it's in the semen for six months. You have to wear a condom, and you have to wear it consistently. Do not rely on men to wear a male condom consistently. Now, interestingly I, enough, if you, for more information about look, I sound like a commercial, go to <laughs> femalecondom.com, mm-hmm. but you can get a prescription. And one of the big problems that women never use it because it was expensive compared to the male condom. And it requires educating yourself about the anatomy. We spoke about sex education. You need to know your anatomy. It's a very simple thing to use, but you have to know a little bit about it. And to protect yourself from pregnancies, from from STDs, uh, you have to be aware of of your basic anatomy and, and what options are available to you
0: and i think that the more options that are available the better because like you said not all you know not all men will wear a condom use one and you know women well, do Well the need only to have other
1: option the only imagine this themselves. this is 2017 the only option for a woman up until now has been the men wearing a condom. Yes. Terrible 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 you cannot rely on us to wear a condom. Done you can't Protect yourself by, by understanding your anatomy, get a female condom, which is easy to use. It's like anything else. It takes two or three times to get used to it. It's free with a prescription. Get to know it, get to love it, and, and the more people, we, we, you know, these condoms are sold XUS. About 50 million of these condoms are sold every year, you know, outside the United States, but it's only now that we're bringing it into the United States uh, with any sort of uh, degree. We, uh, I think last year we just took over this company, and I was shocked to, to hear these statistics, but, uh, but it's no longer over the counter. It's by prescription only, and that's your option. Imagine this is all we got. This is all we got, the male condom or the female condom. And I'm not here to tell women to empower themselves because a man, in my opinion, a man should not be telling women to, but you know you need to empower yourself. I'll tell you something else about when we talk about STDs, you know, and we talk about uh, uh, communicating with your children. So we tell men, women, little girls, so we we'll make sure, okay, use a man has to use a condom. Well, don't you, it would be more empowering to say, well, you could use a condom. But you have to tell everyone that a man doesn't like wearing a latex condom Mm -hmm. and they won't wear it consistently three out of four times. Three out of four men will not wear it consistently. Well, if you're not wearing it consistently, you're not wearing it.
0: Yeah.
1: And everybody knows CDC. So so my point is when we educate people, we educate. Meaning, okay, you got to wear a condom, one or the other. But if you're wearing a male condom, women understand three out of four men will not wear it consistently. Women... Understand that you have to protect yourself. Don't rely on men for your sexual uh, uh, um, uh, uh, protection. You have to be real, you have to rely on yourself, not someone else.
0: And there's a survey that backs up what you're saying here. Uh, there was a survey in 2015 of high school students, and of the students that were surveyed, 41 percent had had sexual intercourse. The 43% of those did not use a condom the last time that they had sex. And 14% did not use any method to prevent pregnancy. And uh, you know, that's something and, that I, I, and you know we what? really have to be you
1: know, you know, talking what? with a our lot? kids about. I'll tell you something else. Okay. When you talk about with your kids about this, you know that, how do you put on a male condom? Right. You see, I'm taking this from a very basic level of sex education to, mm-hmm. You better understand this, okay? So don't just understand that when a man puts a condom on, you're in the middle of sex. The man has an erection. He has to stop having sex to put the condom on. Well, when you're having sex, you're not thinking about anything but having sex. You're not thinking about stopping. So you better understand that beforehand and plan for it. Unfortunately, 50% of young men have an experience of erectile dysfunction when putting on a condom. So just saying put on a condom is not enough. So mm-hmm. th- you have to realize, three four men are not gonna use it consistently, and a lot of them don't like to stop uh, having sex to put on a condom, and that's why they don't use it, because they'll get erectile dysfunction. Doesn't it sound like the female condom is a better choice? Of course, I'm, it, my company sells it, and, and we just took over this company, and, 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 and but, but I was, as a reproductive specialist, I'm a professor of reproductive medicine and urology at while Cornell Medical School in New York, mm-hmm. I was shocked, shocked. It was not my intent to take over this company. We were a pharmaceutical company, but this no, we have this product, and I think it's an, an unbelievable sort of empowering tool for women. And the more I learned about it, the more shocked I was. So I'm more of an advocate now of sex education at an early age, but honest sex education, the pros and cons and what you can do about it. Empower yourself not to get an STD. Empower yourself to have better sex and better communication.
0: And when educating our kids about birth control and about preventing STIs, you know, there's a lot of parents that don't want to um, put their daughters on birth control or provide condoms because, you know, they feel like, well, I, you know, especially if they don't condone sex before marriage, then that's an issue for them. And so what would you say, you know, if you have a a parent who does not want their child having sex, their teenager, but yet they know that they're, you know, maybe they're in a relationship or they've had sex before, how, how do they deal with that?
1: Well, look, when you're talking about religion, once you say the word, I believe the conversation is over. We're not here to discuss, you know, theoreticals. We're not here to discuss theology. We're here to discuss facts. But if somebody says my religion, does, well, I, I, you have the choice in this country to, you know, to, to express your, your beliefs in any way you want, and, mm-hmm. and good luck to you. That's what I say. Good luck to you, four words. Because if, if you don't want to learn, you have to have the, the material out there for you. But I'm certainly not going to, uh, force anyone to read anything, or anyone to listen to anything I say. I think it's important to have the facts out there, and let people decide, you know, how they want to uh, lead their lives. If they want to take a chance of having an unwanted pregnancy, now you, you do know that 50% of all uh, births are, are unintended in this country, 50%. And if, if that's okay with them, well that's okay with me, I don't have a problem with that. You know, uh, it doesn't affect me personally. Uh, and, and if you and your family want to have certain values, that, that's fine. No problem. Uh, but I, I like to say that if you want to cut down on the number of unintended pregnancies, you want to have a better sex life, you know, then learn the facts. Get the facts. And educated consumers are best. It wasn't that selling, uh, you know, men's, uh, men's clothing. So I think, look, knowledge is power. Uh, but it's up to you. I mean, we're just putting it out there. We're certainly not not, not getting involved in any uh, belief uh, systems.
0: Well, I appreciate you sharing your wisdom with us today and all of your expertise. Would, do you have any last words of wisdom you want to share with us today?
1: Well, you want to get more information, you can go to my website, harryfish.com, dot hcom uh, you can go to the female condom site, female Um And uh, listen, I want to thank you. It's, it's not an easy topic. And, and tomorrow you're, you're doing a, it's not, it's not easy. I know because no, I've been doing this my <laughs> whole life, uh, but I do want people to know that it's not what you believe in, not what your religion is. It's just facts mm-hmm. and, and you get to choose. It's your
0: choice. Well, thank you so much again for being with us. I appreciate it. And, Look forward to hopefully talking with you in the future.
1: All right. Take care. Thank you for having me on the show. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye.
0: So if you've been listening to Dr. Harry Fish tell about how we can talk with our kids about having sex, keep these things in mind that, you know, you need to educate yourself first and foremost. That's very, very important. Um, like you said, you know, get some books, do some reading, do your homework become familiar enough with the topic and try to get over some of that discomfort. But I love the fact that he admitted, and and I admit too, that even being healthcare professionals like we are, it's still an uncomfortable topic. And he mentioned that with his own children. It's, you know, it was difficult for him to talk with his own children. And I admit that too. It's an uncomfortable topic when I'm talking with my own grown children about it. When they were growing up, you know, I remember my kids asking about sex. And one time in particular, my Sister, who was a teenager at the time, seventeen years old and a junior in high school, had become pregnant, and it was a very difficult time. It was very scary for her. it was upsetting for the family and my oldest child was eight years old at the time, and he was very confused about why are we all so upset, and why is this a bad thing? because you know he started talking to my husband one night he was like... But God makes babies and God put that baby in her tummy. So isn't you know, babies are a gift from God. Why is everybody upset or mad or you know, why is she crying? Why is she upset that she's gonna have a baby? And so my husband had to explain a little bit about why we weren't all so overjoyed at the fact that, you know, this 17-year-old, junior in high school, had found herself pregnant. Um, And I remember it was a very uncomfortable conversation for him to have with our child and the questions that we encountered after that, you know, but it did kind of open the doorway for some of those conversations. And when you're talking with your children about their sexual well-being, about their sexual health as they're growing up, it has to be not just a one-time conversation, you know, we've all heard about the talk and, you know, the birds and the bees and having the talk. Well, you should be having multiple talks over the course of your child's life, and it doesn't have to be a formal sit-down, you know, official conversation. You know, just take advantage of those learning moments when something presents itself. If, if someone's pregnant that you know and your child starts asking questions, Or, you know, get them a book like Harry recommended, and I do too. Find age appropriate books for teaching your children their anatomy and teaching about sex. And I want you also to remember that, like Harry said, Dr. Harry Fish was telling us it's not just a physical thing, and we shouldn't just focus on prevention of pregnancy and prevention of STIs, although those are very important components that we need to talk about, but there's also the emotional aspect that comes along with sex and the relational aspect and how sex affects relationships. And so I think that it's very important that we make sure that our kids know that they shouldn't be engaging in sex until they are emotionally ready for it or they are in a relationship that's a committed relationship. And if you're like me, you know, I'm a, I'm a Christian and I am someone who is kind of an old-fashioned traditionalist in that I believe that ideally... It's better to wait until you're married to have sex. However, I am a healthcare professional and I'm a realist. And I know that that's not going to happen in most cases. Most of the time people aren't going to wait for marriage and most people are having sex outside of marriage. Um, so we have to realize that even if our beliefs are that our teenagers should not be having sex, they should save themselves from marriage, we have to realistically understand that they need this information because a lot of times they're going to go out and and have sites anyway, and they need to be armed with the information to empower themselves and to make responsible, healthy choices. So I want to thank you for listening in today. This is Tamara Walker. You've been listening to Ask Mom RN, and I look forward to being back with you next week. Have a fabulous week.